Welcome back. Happy 2024 to you, good sir. Oh, that's right. Uh, we celebrate. There's a thing called First Friday here. Um, all the stores downtown stay open and their food trucks and all these. And I, it, it occurred to me yesterday that yes, uh, this is First Friday of January of a new year. Right. The first um, Friday of the month, first Friday of the year, first. Right, right. Party all together. So, um, yes. Yeah, so happy. We, we made it to 2024. Um, <laughs> kicking and screaming, but but we made it. Man, <laughs> well, but we're we're good. 2020. I can't, everybody keeps saying 2024 is going to be a good year. So um, we'll go with that. We'll go with it. We'll go with the optimists. That's right. We'll go. We'll, we'll do. We'll do the best that we can. Right. Right. Speaking of having some confidence and some hope for the new year, we're going to talk a little bit today about kids' confidence and and what we do and um, what we do to to encourage and foster confidence, but also some of the things that we do that really deteriorate and, and, and negatively affect kids' confidence. Right. As as we go, you know, uh, surf the internet and look stuff up and, you know, stuff comes in our mailboxes, you get articles like this that are titled like this one, which is the number one thing that destroys kids' self-confidence, uh, destroys kids' confidence. Um that get, that gives us pause. You know, we always sort of stop and say, oh, what's this about? Okay. Right. And what this is about, this is an article that was written in CNBC, uh, or it came through CNBC, but it's based on a book mm-hmm. that's written by Jennifer Wallace. And Jennifer Wallace is a, mainly a journalist. She She's a pretty respected journalist. Um, and she's written, a, she's written a couple of books. And one of them is called Never Enough, when achievement pressure becomes toxic and what we can do about it. And that is a book that I'm probably going to order um, uh, because it's a fa- to me it's a fascinating topic because it's we, we all know parents, all, all parents want their children to do well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, that's a given. Um, and we push our kids most of us push our kids to do well. We we structure their lives and their activities, select their schools so that our children will do well, so that they will succeed. Um, and and she, she's addressing that topic of when does our parental pressure become too much? And I might add that Wallace has written another book, and the title of that book is The Self-Driven Child, Mm-hmm. And so I think from these two titles, you sort of get her drift of what her concerns are and and why we're interested in this um, this kind of material. Absolutely. I, and it's so it was wonderful that we were preparing and going to do this topic today, because just this week I was working with a with a teenager, a kid in high school mm-hmm. who um who was struggling in a class and he was really having a difficult time in this one particular class and usually does really well. The class is far more advanced than what he should be in. He's like in um, 10th grade and it's a college, you know, one of the AP courses. And so well, well above where he would typically be. And so he's working to get out of the class. And so as he's going to transition out of the class after the first semester, um, he was ready to be done with it. And his parents wanted him to go ahead and finish some of the work that was left. Now, 
there really was no need for it because it didn't account for anything. You know, the the, the grades were in and everything was done. But um, and and they were and they I think in in some ways rightly said you know hey what is it could give you a sense of accomplishment it could make you feel like you know at least you you got some of this stuff done and he was resistant and it got to the point where dad said well how about this what if what if I do the work and you just help me do it and um and and a lot of parents have been there and a lot of parents do that but this 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 kid teenager said the the most um uh, insightful thing. He says, um, I don't understand how I'm going to feel a sense of accomplishment if he's the one doing it. We should we should introduce him to Miss Wallace. Yeah. It's <laughs> exactly it, what she's talking about. A- absolutely. And he articulated it so well because because that is exactly it. How how do we expect a kid to have a sense of accomplishment and feel good about things if they're if they full well know that they're not the ones doing the work or, or putting forth the effort. Right. And before we before we get into this topic completely, which we're going to do in a second, I, I don't pretend to know. I wish I did, but I don't. I don't pretend to know where that line is between pushing your children and letting them sort of find their own way. Right. Okay. I, I I simply don't know what the what the right answer is. Um, it, it it works both ways. But what I do know is that if you push your kids so hard to accomplish what you want, mm-hmm. if you find that year after year after year that you're doing all the pushing and all the organizing and all the monitoring of homework and grades and assignments and missing assignments, that's a pretty fair indication that you're asking your child to pursue something that's not, that doesn't belong to them. And if it's not theirs, it's not, it's not going to be, it's never going to be their achievement. Right. Yeah. And I, and I get where parents are coming from because, you know, the, the dad in the example that I gave, you know, I know that he has very good intentions and he, you know, I've, I've talked to him and I, I know that he just, he wants his son to feel feel good. And, and, and he knows his son struggles with confidence and, right. and, and he's trying to do everything. He's like, and, and reached out, you know, at least, Hey, I will do it. And you just, you just help me and we'll get it done. And I'll, I'll do. And, and I'm sure that he was talking about, I'll do most of the typing and I'll do most of the writing. Right. So you don't, those are the things that the, the, the kid has a hard time with. And, um, but, but it does get to that point where at, at, when do you cross that line to where, you know, the 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 work is actually no longer the kids at all and it becomes now the parents and you know based upon this this uh article that we read and and what we think um is that's at the point that it beca- starts to become toxic right that's the part that's- where you know what the parent is doing and starting to step in is um is taking over and becomes toxic and starts to negatively affect what we're trying to actually trying to accomplish with it with the kid that's right and and there are there are some signs uh pretty pretty easy to um discover identify stumble over there are some signs when it's when when your um support your efforts your insistence is becoming toxic okay and things like who's writing the college essay okay this is college 
the, the parents did this a, a couple of months ago. You know, college acceptances are coming out in January and February. So we're at that season where kids are learning whether they were accepted or not. And we're going to talk about college acceptance when we get toward the end of this podcast. But if who's writing that college essay? I mean, I have all kinds of parents who say, well, no, I just wrote it for her or I wrote it with him. Um, the kids aren't writing their own essays. Colleges know that now. And they're probably going to do away with the college essay because they know the kids aren't writing them. Um, chat GPT. I was just going to say, either the parent or, or um, AI. That's right. AI can write a college essay. So it's lost. It's really lost its value. But things like that, who's doing the work or that family that you're talking about? You know, who's doing the work? Years and years ago, we would hear stories of nurses who did the night shift and they would bring their kids books and do their homework for them. Right. The kids are asleep. The nurses are working the night shift. They're not busy. So they do their kids homework. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. Who's doing the work? Second thing is when you're monitoring their achievement more than anything else, when, when your focus is on are they getting the assignments done or the assignments done well, and you're monitoring that rather than their emotional life or their stress levels or their physical health. You know, the, yeah, all the assignments are turned in, but your child has a skin disorder because of the, the stress that she's under right. or she's, she's, you know, started other self-harming behaviors because yeah, she's getting all A's in her seven AP classes and her two college classes and her online courses, but she's cutting in the middle of the night. Okay. And so what are you monitoring? And then, right. The other thing is when you start dragging them places, you know, to, to whatever or whomever, sometimes they drag them to see us and the kids don't want to be here. I mean, the right. maybe it's good intentions and maybe the parents are onto something. But when you're taking your kids to all these lessons and they're hating all of it, it means that you're making them do your agenda. You're making them pursue your goals. Right. Okay? And that's like you said, you know, that's when they're dragging them to see us and they don't want to come to see us usually it's because the parent and child expect that they're coming here for us to tell the kid to do what the parent yeah. is telling them to do. Yeah. They want us to be an ally in their effort. Okay. Yeah. But as soon as you, as, and so what's the antidote for that? When, when a, when a teenager comes in here and doesn't want to talk to us, it's not that they don't want to talk to us. They don't want to talk to us about their parents' goals. Right. If we let them talk about what they want, Right. They'll talk plenty, okay? right? But then we're not allies with the parents. Right. Um, you know, our concern is with the kid, and but and if they get the feeling that we're looking out for their best interest, they're going to talk. Now, the other thing that parents need to be careful of, and, and this is something that schools struggle with, there's a difference between accommodations and modifications. Right. Accommodations are you give a little help once in a while. You know, your kid struggling with some math problems or something, give a little help, but they're doing the work. A modification is a change in the requirement, a change in who's doing the work. And what you don't want to do is you don't want to move from helping your child to doing it for your child. Okay, that's that's a sure sign that you're headed in the wrong direction. Absolutely. And so you're, you're I, we get it that parents are constantly working to find a balance. Right. And and you, you know. There is a price, though, that that we pay if we if we get it wrong, and and, and this isn't a you know be oh, this big warning you know watch out because you're going to ruin things forever, but no. it is a warning that you know things may not end up and and you know result in the things that you you are hoping for right. um, very quickly. 
you know, when kids are in these situations, we see, we see certain patterns. We see that, you know, kids go from, um, you know, they may be interested in school to, but all of a sudden they become very passive or they even start to rebel and push back against the parent. You know, um, it's not, they don't, they're not driven to do the schoolwork because they know that it's going to get done anyways. They know that there's going to be this big safety net that's going to that's going to catch them. So they become very very passive, and they right. that that appearance of laziness that 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 parents talk about sometimes in their kids, or they just become rebellious and they just right. fight back and say, "No, I'm not doing it." You know? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You hear them say everything from you know, college wasn't my idea. I didn't want to right. go to college. I went because you told me I had to go. Right. And then, and then finally, they'll get to open rebellion and say, "I'm out. I'm done with this. I'm out of here. I'm not going to do this anymore." Right. So, Absolutely. inside your good intentions, and and I don't for once question the parents' intentions. They're good right. intentions, but inside that are the seeds of demoralization. Okay, right. and that's what you have to recognize that, despite how good your intentions are, despite the fact that you do know what's best for your, you know, your child is going to be better off with a college right. degree than without a. Co- you know all that, okay? But if the child doesn't buy that, if that's not the child's world, then all the work, all everything that you're doing is Mm -hmm. probably going to be for naught. You're either going to make a kid passive and say, fine, I'll do it because you want me to, or they're going to go into rebellion and just just disappear, okay? So as you think about making your child successful, we want you to think very clearly about the following things. Yeah. Yeah, so we we worry that you know, and, and in talking with kids like the the student that I was talking about earlier, we start to see that kids start will, will assume certain perspectives, and so they may assume the perspective that well, my parents don't really think that I can do it on my own, so that's why they're doing it for me. So they you know they know that their their parents don't trust them, or or they may um, a, a lot of students will will develop a sense of guilt and they they feel bad because because they don't care about something as much as the parents care about it. And so right. they feel bad for that. They can't make themselves care more about it, but they feel bad that they don't. Right. So, so, you know, they start to develop these negative feelings about themselves um, because they feel like, well, they, they may develop a sense of um, learned helplessness. Oh, well, I can't do that. You know, I, I have ADHD. I, I can't do it. Or I, I have this problem and I can't do it. Right. Um, and the parents are reinforcing that by assuming it and taking it over for them. That's um, right. Or again, they just start feeling guilty and, um, you know, can lead to depression and anxiety. Yeah. Kids know when the expectation is that you have to accomplish my goals. Okay? Right. That, that's your role. That's your goal. Um, and so there is this, um, Bernie, how many patients have you had? How many families have you seen where the parents are monitoring every assignment. Yeah. Well, what many kids do is they say, well, if my mother's going to monitor it, why should I? Right. I mean, you know, I mean, that's stupid. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to clean the car, why should I clean the car? Right. If you're, you know, exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense that parents say, I I want him to, to care enough to go in and look at his grades and look at what he's missing. But meanwhile, the parent is doing the same thing every day and telling them everything he's missing. And so, yeah, why would he duplicate that work? He knows his mom's going to tell him. So why would he look? Right. So if you want your child to be self, um, 
motivated, you want internal motivation, then don't take all that away. Don't, then make your child move in that direction. Set it up so that the child is doing the work. If you're doing the work, they're not going to. Absolutely. If you're, if you're willing to do their homework, why should they do their homework? Right. It's like this great recovery business. If I don't have to do anything till the last week of school, a lot of kids are going to opt for the last week of the of the grading period. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so parents, here's a, here's a few things that we would like for right. you to think about and consider right. as you're, you're tackling some of these things. The first is think about how you're defining success. Yeah. Are yeah. you defining success based upon your, your kids' grades, their, their grade point average, how they do on, on tests or, or, you know, how well they're performing in sports? How are you defining success? Right. Um, because how you're defining success is going to lay the road just a bit about how you are managing this with your, with your student, with your child. Right. Uh, you the know, more you're concerned about the outcome, the more you're just going to focus on what is that ultimate right. score or performance. Right. You know, we live, in, we live in Florida and the flagship university here is the University of Florida. And so the goal, because now imagine if you told your child every day from kindergarten on, you know, honey, the goal is we want you to go to UF. We, we went to UF. We want you to go to UF. So everything we do is poured into UF. What happens to that poor child if he doesn't get into UF? Right. You know, you've set up this goal and then they don't achieve it. And that, that's what we talk about. That's what Wallace is talking about when she said it, it contains the seeds of demoralization. All right. Because right. You, you set up these goals. and But if the child doesn't achieve it, then the child's a failure. Right. Second, who gets to decide what? You know how do how do you define success, and then in your family, who gets to decide right. what success is? What does success look like? Absolutely. When does the child define what success is to to him or her? Like, how do they know what success is? Um, yeah. it, it, yours was a great example. If success is is automatically defined by admission into the University of Florida. You know, if the if the kid has no interest in going to University of Florida, but that is what success is, they'll never achieve success. Anything short is a failure. Right. OK. And and so we have to be careful about what you set up as the goal, what you how you define success. Right. Third thing is, how long do you insist on your definition? Is it do you, do you give up when they're 15 or 17 or 16 or 18 or 21? You know. How long do you insist on your definition? Because eventually the child is going to take over. The child might be 20 or 30 or 40 or 50, but eventually the child's going to take over. It's going to be theirs, right? So at what point, how long do you insist on this? What if the child is in fifth or sixth grade and isn't a straight A student? Well, they're probably not going to go to Harvard, right? So they're probably not going to get into Notre Dame if they're not a if they're not an all-state athlete, they're right. probably not going to play football at Notre Dame, no matter how much you want them to. Right? right. And so when do you stop? At what age do you stop um, uh, imposing your definition definition of success? The yeah. other thing is related to that. Does success have a shelf life? Yeah. You know, when do when do you, Bernie, you and I see plenty of patients whose children are 20 or 21 or 22 and the parents say, you know, he doesn't have a job. He didn't finish school. Um, does it, are you a failure at 18, 20, 25, 30? Right. When do you, when do you say my child failed? Because some children don't succeed until they're in their thirties or forties. 
right? Absolutely. So does success have a shelf life? I don't know. And I think that this brings into in, into focus what that uh, the author of that book, uh, Wallace, mm-hmm. ta- is talking about, and that is, you know, we have this perspective that each generation is going to do better than the previous right. generation. That we, right. we all believe that and, and sort of have this idea that our, our children are going to perform better and do better than we did. And we usually define that by, you know, quote unquote, success. However, we're defining success. And, you know, but we have to be careful because, again, how are we how are we defining success? And are we are we making some assumptions that are really just <laughs> no longer valid? That's you know? right. That's right. Calls because... us the encore effect that you know, the, the, the encore that our children are going to be, to be better, that one last act, that, that one more um, number that the performer will, will provide that it's going to be the best. That's going to really put the, the cap on things. And it's right. just not, it's, it's more difficult now than it has been. That's right. And we, we always, we talk about that in our practice that uh, situation, it's very different today. Um, and this assumption that, our children are going to do better than we did, or even as well as we did. You need to be careful with that because in the first place, the cost of college has more than doubled in in the last 20 years, not in a generation, but just in the last 20 years. I mean, there's 20 year difference in the ages of my children. So even my children have experienced this, Um, that tuition as state legislatures cut funding to universities, universities had to raise tuition and fees. Right. So now it costs far more. And 40 years ago, it's probably by a factor of four. Right. You know, a $10,000 college education now could cost forty or 50000 or more per year. Yeah. Right. And same it, with home prices. Absolutely. Yeah. I was just going to say the same thing. Home prices, you look at, you know, back in 1990, which it's crazy to think that that was, you know. A long th- time ago. Almost 34 years ago now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the average home price was about $150,000 a year. Now, obviously, economics are different, but $150,000 then is about $360,000 now. Right. The average home price in 2022 was $535,000. And that's, you know, $200,000 more than Than your money can buy. So, you know, things are different. Um, It is much more... There's this idea that that kids, you, you use the example of University of Florida, there's this idea that kids will go to the same college that their parents went to. Well, right. that is becoming more difficult as well. Right. Yeah. I was astonished by these numbers. Yeah. Um, in 1980, so that would be your parents, okay, yeah. 21% of the applicants who, who applied to Yale were accepted, 21%. In 2023, it was 4.5%. Yeah. Um, UCLA, 1989, 1989, 42% were accepted. Today, it's 9%. Yeah. Right? Harvard, 1990, it was 18%. Today, it's 3%. Right. So there's a good likelihood that you couldn't, you couldn't get accepted to your alma mater today. Right. And your kids are going to have a much harder time. We're talking about 13, 18%. It's almost 20% versus 3%. Right. got accepted to Harvard. It's a right. much different climb. It's a much different, it's out of reach for most people. Okay. Yeah. And so the same with the University of Florida, most 10% of the kids get accepted to Florida. Yeah. So in, when your parents, when, when their parents went there a generation ago, maybe 30 or 40, probably 40% got accepted. 
Right. So this notion that um, that we that each generation is going to get better um, is probably not a valid assumption. Right. Okay. right. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll, we'll leave you with a little bit of advice. And, and the, the first piece of advice, of course, is that we need to we need to work to reject the idea that there's only one way to succeed. Right. There is only one singular definition of success um, mm-hmm. because there's not there's there's many ways to define success. There's many ways to achieve success. Mm-hmm. And at some point, we have to allow our kids to decide what success means to them. Mm-hmm. It may not be what we want, but it, it, it as long as it's just what we want, they're not going to have an intrinsic drive to achieve it anyways. That's right. You, if you have more than one child, I mean, different kids are going to pursue different goals, yeah. right? even within a, even within the same family. Some kids may want to go to college. Some kids may not want to go to college. Some may want to work with their hands. Some may want to be art. Kids have to pursue their own goals. It's the only way they're going to do it with any enthusiasm. And it's the only way it's going to be their victory. Okay. Right. The other thing is, is let kids do the activities they enjoy, not what looks good on a resume or a college application. You know, uh, let, let kids develop. Let them evolve. Let them open up on their own. Okay. Most of all, however, be careful about achievement at all costs. Um, when we when we push this notion of achieve, 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 you have to go to this college, you have to take AP classes, you have to be on the all-star team, you have to be on all-state, you have to win these competitions, you have to be the best reader in your life. When we push achievement, children will often confuse their sense of self, their self-confidence with their achievement. And we don't, we don't, we don't want to do that. As a parent, you don't want to do that. You don't want to tie your kid's self-concept, self-esteem to some measurable achievement like a, a SAT test score. Right. Yeah. This is this is the idea of um snowplow parenting or lawnmower parenting where you're you're pushing the the snowplow in front of your child, clearing the path so that they have this clear thing. The the problem with that is you're deciding the path. The child decides the path. And, you know, when, when that's the case, you know, you you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if your child is going to um, find themselves willing all along the way to, to continue to follow you. You may look back and all of a sudden they're off somewhere else. And that's right. So there's two things you're, you're choosing the path and you're clearing the path. Okay. And that's not the child's victory. That's your victory. And eventually it has to be their victory. So your task as a parent is to, you have a single task and that is to get your child ready by age 18 to be able to pursue whatever goals they have set for themselves. It, right. it, it's their goal, it's their life and it's their goal. Your job is to just to make sure that they're independent and able to um, able to achieve those goals by the time they're 18. That's another huge mistake we're making. We're keeping kids dependent on us too long. Um, by 18, they should be ready to go out and do it themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we will continue to to talk about this topic because uh, this is such an important topic. Um, and we we keep reading um, and seeing examples 
of where we're kind of falling short of this in, in many ways. So we will keep talking about it and share as many ideas and strategies and thoughts as we can with you. Yep. All right. Okay. So that's it for today for our first episode in 2024. 2024. Yeah. Welcome to January. Welcome to 2024. Yep. We have a lot more ideas um, for this year and what we're going to be talking about. So uh, we hope that you will um, come back and see what we have to offer. A little bit of a spoiler alert. We have a hot topic for next week. Oh my gosh. We were talking about chat GPT, AI, Mm -hmm. AI generated psychological therapy there you go stay tuned next week we're going to do chat gpt as a therapist so stay tuned for that i'm going to need your help with that dr i'm going to need your help with that one because it's got words like bot and uh all that stuff all that technical language so you're going to have to hold my hand on this one we'll be ready for it so okay until then stay happy stay healthy and forget to be afraid